Hello and welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep and with me today is Lee Claridge, the Chief Product Officer of Palo Alto Networks. Lee, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Mandeep. Great. So, look, you guys, uh, you know, have been around for a long time. Uh, the company is, was started in 2005, and uh, based on you know our coverage, Palo Alto Networks is the largest pure play cybersecurity company, almost seven billion dollars in revenue run rate. And you know, if you take aside Microsoft, which uh, has a, which at least says they have about 20 billion in. Uh, a revenue from security, you guys really lead the pack. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a lot that has changed both in terms of how Palo Alto has evolved, you know, starting off as a firewall company and now really branching into different product lines. And maybe just to level set, uh, we can start off with, you know, how the company has changed, you know, from uh, being just a, a appliance-focused firewall, uh, firewall company to being uh, where you are in terms of, you know, the different lines of business you have within cybersecurity. I joined in 2006, well before we had our first product, leading leading product management at the time. And uh, it's, it's funny, it's just a firewall company. Just At that time, we were basically taking on the entire network security industry, and everyone was saying, like, you know, no one's ever done that much before, and, you know, particularly as a startup. So... It, and it, it is informative for where we're at now and, and where we're going to kind of understand, you know, what we were trying to do at that time. Um, the network security space was highly fragmented. You know, their companies only did firewalls, companies only did IPS, companies that only did, you know, these different, you know, uh, capabilities were all delivered to standalone products. And we came in and, and said, this is all wrong. We have to reimagine this as a next-gen firewall that incorporates all aspects of network security into a single product, Jim's Lover sitting. Back then, we didn't use the platform word, but it, it would have been appropriate for what we were trying to accomplish and how we were trying to change that, that part of the cybersecurity industry. Fast forward to today, as we were successful disrupting that uh, whole portion of the markets, we saw some very important emerging trends that we embraced. The first was the move toward a much more sort of a hybrid work uh, way in which business was conducted. So this was before COVID where it became obvious to everybody that this would be. And so this is the expansion into sort of SASE based architectures. We recognize the importance of cloud and cloud native architectures and this expanded our focus into building out our cloud security platform and Prisma Cloud. And then the third big transformation we saw you know, five or six years ago was the belief that data and AI and automation were going to transform cybersecurity. Um, and this became sort of the third core platform and area of focus for us that we've been building upon and, and focus on disruption. And, you know, obviously now today, ever goes, of course, it's obvious that AI is going to transform cybersecurity, but we We've been laying the foundation for these 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 disruptions for several years. Yeah, no, that's great. And uh, look, I I think having uh, uh, covered the company for a while, I know you report your revenue uh, in terms of you know the new product lines, namely uh, Prisma and Cortex, and and Cortex is where you've built a 
data lake sort of, you know, where you bring in data from uh, both your firewalls and different pro point products that are out there. And uh, just so that, you know, uh, folks understand here, how is it that you're able to branch into, you know, all these new areas? I mean, I, I know acquisitions was a big part of uh, the transformation, but maybe you can lay it out for, uh, you know, everyone in terms of how you built these capabilities and what is it that is a moat uh, for the company at this point of time? So... What we have done, and and, and depending on how you think about sort of like where we are in that journey, you know, are doing because it's 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 still this is still being you know fully built out and executed hasn't really ever been done in cybersecurity before. If you think about it, it's really hard to come up with even one example of a cybersecurity company that's been a leader in one large cybersecurity category. And, and then over time become a leader in another category. And, and, and when I say leader in this context, I don't just mean like generating, you know, revenue. I mean, actually being viewed as a technical leader, innovator in that space. And so I, the reason I sort of set it up that way is, is it's very important of like how we've approached this differently, how we've learned from what we consider to be the failed attempts to do this in the past and how we're going to, and how we're doing it differently. And, I think that the key difference is when we took a look at, say, cloud security, the temptation in the past would have been to say, we do network security really well. Therefore, our approach to cloud security is going to be network security in the cloud. And we take a look at security operations and data and analytics. We could say, all right, our approach to that is going to be network security applied to data analytics. And that is, in my view, how most companies have tried to approach this in the past, or they just make acquisitions and they hope that the acquisition is somehow miraculously going to do well inside of a larger company. Yeah. So our approach has been to really understand these big transformations and approach them sort of in the way that a startup would approach them, but in a highly accelerated fashion, because of course we have resources and inability to invest more quickly. So when we approach cloud security, we started from scratch. We said, what, how would you approach this? from scratch if our goal was in you know, three to five years to have a the leading cloud security platform. We approached it that way and we, we built, plus acquired and integrated together. And we built that as a, a business that could thrive on its own and that is even better because it's part of house networks. So, so its success is not dependent on being part of house network. House network simply helps extend it. Same thing with security operations and the SOC and what we're doing on analytics and data and things like that is a city mindset. Like we have to be the absolute best at that. Yeah. No better because it's part of the broader Palo Alto Networks company capacity, go-to-market strength, product strength, et cetera. Yeah. So, and, and just to piggyback on that, I mean, was it just by chance that the acquisitions you did were more centered towards expansion, expanding on the endpoint side? and also on the secure web gateway side and leaving out identity, you know, to the pure play peers, or was there anything strategic in terms of the areas that you picked in terms of expanding the acquisitions? Every acquisition has been very purposeful. We're looking at where we see an opportunity to positively disrupt the industry and solve problems that otherwise uh, are not solved very well. Uh, we're looking at areas where we believe we can give significant 
uh, leverage from that area relative to the other things that we're already focused on. I'll give you a couple of examples. Yeah. You, you mentioned, you know, endpoint. View of endpoint that uh, when we started focusing on endpoint security was the existing players were not doing a very good job at providing, you know, really great endpoint security. The industry was starting to go through a disruptive cycle of new technologies. And we saw an opportunity for us to leverage our innovation engine and, and ability to, to, to disrupt. And so we, through a combination of acquisition and organic investment and development, we focused on that. And specifically, and early on, we understood that it wouldn't just be standalone endpoint security. It would be taking endpoint data, combining it with network data, combining it with cloud data, combining it with other data in order to start to drive that analytics and AI revolution in the South. That today, again, fast forward to how this has culminated in a strategy, the launch of XIM, which is our new SOC automation and analytics and AI platform, where we have, whole, have companies that are doing whole SOC transformations based on this. The groundwork for that was laid six, seven years ago in endpoint security, in network analytics, in EDR, in automation, these were the, the foundational pieces that allowed us to be in the place where we are now, where we can actually do that for very large enterprises. You know, you mentioned Secure Web Gateway. Most of that has been organic. We had the core strength and foundations for our network security capabilities um, that we were able to organically invest, innovate, and build out the additional capability necessary to be able to make that simply a component of our network security platform. But then there might be specific technology areas there we say, you know, this small company is doing some really interesting innovation. We can bring that into health networks, end of life, the standalone product, but make this a new integrated capability. Um, yeah. and, and so we've, we've, we've had a fairly disciplined approach to these acquisitions and making sure that they're, they're not really about acquiring business. They're about acquiring technology and people that we could integrate into one of our three platforms. Yeah, and, and uh, I, I guess to give credit to you guys, most of the founders of the companies that you have acquired have stayed on, which is great. I, I, I think it's a reflection of uh, how well the integration seems to have gone. I'm guessing you don't want to talk about the identity side of things, uh, given why you chose to leave out identity from the portfolio. The look, identity is clearly an important part of security. There's no question about it. We partner very closely with the companies that do identity, uh, companies like Okta and even Microsoft and others. The and actually we use identity in our products. So we help we help bring identity to 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 life in terms of how we operationalize it and leverage it in network security, cloud security, and security operations. And and for us that has has been what we believe is the right strategy for where we focus our uh, energy and people and resources and where we let other companies do what they're good at. So we don't have to do everything. Yeah. The things that we do, we want to be the absolute best of. Got it. And then you mentioned analytics and how, you know, collecting data from endpoints was something that, you know, helped you and uh, with the launch of the uh, latest products you mentioned around XDR and, and the automation. So maybe you can spend some time around just the vision for analytics and what we are hearing, you know, uh, with the new uh, generative AI and chat GPT wave. Is there like a, an intersection with 
of what your vision is and how you could leverage the, some of these new technologies? Yeah, so let me, let me, let me start with sort of the foundational aspects of this, right? So if you look at how analytics has largely been done in the enterprise, it's been a very siloed uh, approach. Uh, think about EDR. EDR companies, generally, they collect data from endpoints, they analyze it in order to try to detect attacks, and then they sort of present that information to someone in the SOC to be able to, for them to go do something. There's another category, uh, sometimes called NTA, network traffic analytics, sometimes, sometimes called NDR, network detection response. And there's companies that do this. It's a different set of companies. They collect data from the network, they analyze it, they try to detect attacks, and then they do that, they put that information from the SOC to, to go investigate or something. Well, another data there's called UABA, which is now sometimes called ITDR. This is collecting data from identity companies and analyzing it and for the same thing. Can I detect an attack with identity data, present it to the SOC, et cetera. Meanwhile, there is a SIM. The SIM is collecting alerts from other sources and doing stuff with it. So, so if you're in the SOC looking at this, it's a bit of a mess because you're constantly, you know, pivoting between different products that have their tunnel view of the world based on the one data source that they collected and understood. So our insights several years ago was we could drive significantly better AI-based analytics if we could collect data across these different data sources, stitch it together, so normalize and stitch it together, and then perform the analytics on top of that data. So when we look at, it at, a, at an event, we can see it, what it looked like from an endpoint. We can see what it looked like from the network. We can see what it looked like from an identity perspective. We can see what it looked like from a cloud perspective. And by bringing that together, we would be much more accurate yeah. in our ability to, to detect something. We would be able to um, inform the investigation process much better. In fact, it would actually facilitate being able to make it much easier to automate that investigation and response process. Yeah. And so that is what has become known as XDR. And then our, the next step forward is to take that and say, we can actually turn this into an entire platform in the SOG where we're ingesting data from every data source, stitching it, analyzing it, natively automating outcomes. So that's the, that's the foundational piece of where we're at today. Now, bring in large language models and generative AI and, and some of the new advances that have happened over the last, uh, they've been happening over the last several years, but sort of yeah. brought light in the last several months. Yeah. This then becomes, uh, for us, a opportunity to leverage these advances in AI with what we consider to be sort of an industry-leading data sets, leading in the sense that it's good data. We understand the data. We know how to apply AI to this data in order to drive outcomes. And now all of a sudden we have much more powerful AI models that we can use to perform a lot of those, those sort of analytical tasks and, and automation tasks. So we're, we're excited about these advanced AI in terms of what it means for our ability to, to drive these outcomes. Importantly, we believe that achieving these, achieving the value, the full value out of AI will be determined largely by the quality of data yeah. that you're able to use with these models. Yeah. I, I mean, and 
just on that point, so do you think uh, Microsoft then has an undue advantage here, given it is so big in security? And granted, it's not a pure play cybersecurity company, but twenty billion in revenue. So clearly, they have a lot of uh, companies using their products on the endpoint side and on the identity side, and they have uh, unlimited cloud capacity. And uh, you know their investment in open AI. Do you think that kind of helps them uh, be that innovator when it comes to leveraging the large language models in cybersecurity? I always, I always pause when when trying to talk. Answer uh, competitor questions. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah. Because I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Gonna, I don't know. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. do you perceive it as a threat in terms of you know? Because at the end of the day, it's about the pace at which you launch your product. And how efficacious it is versus what's out there, you know. And uh, so, uh, I, I'm what, so first and foremost, I always have a healthy respect for what competitors are doing, and, and yeah. I actually think it's generally good for the industry when there is when there are strong when there's strong competition, and companies are sort of fighting to be innovative and and to solve hard problems and things like that. So my sort of point actually is is not to sort of have this sort of myopic view that like only Palo Dorse can win in cybersecurity. Like, I, I think competition innovation is a great thing for the industry. And the if we really took a step back and looked at this, you know, nation state attackers, nation state level attackers, you know, even sort of the run of the mill cyber criminals, they're they're they they continue to invest. They continue to to drive more attacks, more sophisticated attacks. And so my story point as an industry, the types of disruption that we're talking about are important. Now, I believe that there are advantages to being a pure-based security company with our scale and capacity to drive drive investments in in innovations. You know, my best hundred people are all working on cybersecurity. My best thousand people are all working on cybersecurity. My best AI person is focused on how to apply AI to cybersecurity. That is not necessarily true at companies whose primary business is something else who happen to also do some cybersecurity. So for, for, in terms of what, what I see, yeah, I think it is still very important for the industry uh, that there is that there are pure play companies like Palace Networks that are able to invest all of our top talents toward solving the hardest problems to cybersecurity. I mean, the reason why I brought up Microsoft is Google also bought Mandiant, and Mandiant, we know, you know, uh, it's more services uh, focused, but clearly they have a lot of cybersecurity professionals. So the trend seems to be that hyperscalers continue to wear on security, and maybe there the the vision out there is you can leverage a lot of these large language models, and if you have data sources to ingest, then you can be good at predicting or preventing, you know, some of these uh, unknown cyber attacks. And uh, clearly that seems a trend from our vantage point. Yes, look, we, we partner with all the hyperscalers. And I, I do think that particularly for certain segments of the market, they will be able to provide uh, solutions and products that are sufficient for, say, smaller enterprise companies. We tend to focus a lot more of our energy toward the large enterprise global mm-hmm. 2000 scale all of which 
or I say all, just about all of which are multi-cloud. And so our position of being partnered with the cloud providers, but, but not depend on any one of them actually does provide benefit to our customers. We can provide our analytics security capabilities equally across AWS, Azure, GCP, Oracle, Alibaba, work on, I, on IBM as well. That is a good position for us to be in relative to our target customer base that are all multi-cloud, actually multi-cloud and hybrid cloud, just to expand the, the scope of what they're trying to accomplish. Yeah, and, and maybe uh, we can come back to, uh, you know, your uh, firewall business, which is still, uh, you know, a significant part of the company's product portfolio, you know, 50 to 60% of your revenue. Like, how do you think that will evolve given, you know, this trend of remote work and hybrid work as well as, you know, workloads sort of moving from on-premise to cloud seamlessly, like... How does that change? Several years ago, we started to expand our focus in network security and almost sort of rethink it such that the, I'll call it a hardware next-gen firewall is just one way of delivering our capabilities. We also have software next-gen firewalls that are a different form factor for delivering those same network security capabilities, but designed for being able to run in a public cloud, private cloud type infrastructure. And then we we developed this ASSE-based approach, which is a cloud-delivered network security uh, approach. And so what this allowed us to do is to actually be uniquely positioned in the market to go to our customers and say, all of our network security functionality, how we do uh, zero trust uh, security in terms of you know app, user, and device-based security policy, how we do all the different security services of, you know, vulnerability exploits and malicious websites and phishing and D, uh, DNS security and malware security and DLP and SaaS security and IoT security. These are all different security services. That's the functionality you need and we can deliver it in the hardware form factor, a software form factor, or a SaaS form factor. And importantly, just about every enterprise in the world actually needs all three of those. They need hardware in the campus and data center environments. They need software for the public-private cloud environment, the SASE for all the remote workers and branch office environments. And our ability to deliver consistent functionality across these four factors means that they can have a consistent set of security capabilities, consistent security operations in terms of how they operate all of this, and very importantly, a consistent user experience which drives productivity. We're the only ones that can do that. Everyone else will come in and say, we can do one piece of there. We can give you the firewall piece and you need someone else to do the SASE piece. Or someone else comes and says, I can do the SASE piece, but I need someone else to do the, you know, the campus and data center and, and cloud pieces. Same technology and capabilities can be delivered by PALS networks across all three, which is hugely important as this shift happens. So it no longer becomes, so our, our priority is no longer how many firewalls can we sell? Our priority becomes how much network security can we sell across the three different form factors as customers are, are rebalancing what they need um, based on where their workforce is working from and where their applications are being deployed. Got it. And just, you know, coming back to uh, your endpoint side of things. So is my understanding correct that if you have an agent on the endpoint, 
that gives you more power to roll out more products compared to if you have an agentless architecture. And uh, I was wondering if, uh, you know, if that's what uh, Cortex is doing uh, when it comes to the endpoint side of things. Having an agent provides, at least at a high level, provides two yeah. critical capabilities. One, there are certain types of real-time uh, security layer, real-time any layer, detect and prevent in a single, you know, motion that can really only be done on a network. There's a lot that can be done from a network, so call it agentless if you will, but yeah. there are certain things that being on an endpoint is, is really important for. Um, and, I, you know, there's been a couple of examples over the last couple of years that are just like really powerful because everyone really understands, them, right? Like we were able to block the solar winds attack without knowing that there was a thing called a solar winds attack <laughs> when it happened because our XDR agent could detect the behavior and block it. Yeah. Not necessarily because we understood what the attack was other than the behavior. So more recently, there was the 3CX uh, example. Same thing, XDR was able to prevent that attack without knowing what the source of the attack actually was. It saw the, be the malicious behavior blocked it there and the attack couldn't continue. So these are powerful examples for why uh, being on the endpoint itself is really important for security perspective. The second reason for this is it's an incredibly important data source for driving the AI algorithms we have for detecting and responding to attacks we've never seen before. So we be able to collect this data from the endpoint to correlate it with what we're seeing from the network and the cloud and identity sources and to build it. But without that source, we would be missing a key ingredient to understanding security activity from every vantage point. So, so we need those two things in order to be able to drive the security outcomes that we know are important to our customers. Got it. And last question before we jump into a rapid fire round. So, on uh, you mentioned a couple of times SASE security. Just you know to unpack that a little bit. I mean, is that uh, like more uh, applicable towards the endpoint side of the equation in terms of where the larger addressable market is from a SASE perspective, or is it more, you know, geared towards the web gateway uh, in terms of the proxy architecture that you are enabling uh, for applications to do, go directly to the cloud? Not It's, it's not really related to the endpoint piece. That's okay. Okay. The secure web gateway example is one use case of SASE, but is not nearly the entire uh, use case. So a remote employee that wants to go out to the internet should should be directed through a SASE solution to make sure that that connectivity is secure, to make sure that they don't go to a phishing site, malicious website, download malware, get infected, do something that then would give that attacker a foothold that allows them to move laterally internally. So, so that's, that is a use case. Same time, these users are going to SaaS applications, cloud applications, and we need to be able to securely connect them to those applications and make sure that they're using those in a safe manner. Turns out just about every enterprise still has applications running in data centers around the world. So we need to be able to securely connect that employee to applications running the data center. Now, here's where it starts to get even more interesting because 
you know, there's still a lot of application data center that are not web-based. Mm -hmm. You can't use a proxy to connect the yeah. user to some of these applications. You have to be able to create a, a secure connection for SMB and FTP and all sorts of other sort of things that we now generally call legacy applications. Well, we have to support that too. Yeah. Right. So when you start to then combine all these different use cases together, this becomes for remote users or branch offices, this becomes the new way of doing network security. Yeah. Right. And this is why I connected it back to, you know, how we do network security in campus uh, environments, data centers, and things like that is because now you can imagine if I'm an employee and I, you know, today I'm in the office and I'm doing work from the office. So my traffic is going through and obviously Pulse Network's next gen firewall going out into whatever application I'm trying to go to, including the internet. Tonight, when I go home and I'm, and I'm doing work, my connection will go through our Prisma Access solution, which is our SASE offering. Same thing. I will have access to every application I need access to, but it will also be secured, fully secured with all the same security capabilities that were applied when I was on the network. So that's the power of having a, a full network security platform is that consistency of security, security operations and, and user experience and productivity. Got it. Great. And uh, I like to spend the last five minutes, you know, on, on the podcast, uh, on just some, you know, quick questions. You can All right. keep your answers brief and uh, hopefully we can cover, you know, a wide range of topics here. So first question, uh, any misconceptions about Palo Alto networks that you want to clear on this podcast? Uh, misconceptions. I mean, the most obvious one is that we're, that we're a next-gen firewall company. We are very clearly... Uh, expanded into being, you know, and well, still a leader in network security, including Azure Firewall, now also a leader in cloud security, and now also a leader in security operations uh, and, the, and, and the SOC. Yeah, and I, I hope people listening to this podcast, their earlier part of our conversation can uh, relate to that comment. So, okay. Is the current market ripe for acquisitions, given your success rate with uh, the tuck-ins over the last four or five years? There are always going to be opportunities for acquisition. My my view is they should always be done very purposefully and with an understanding of how they would fit into a broader stretch. Okay. And how is the pricing environment right now given, you know, the macro situation and uh, what we've been hearing about enterprise IG spending. There continues to be a healthy focus on cybersecurity because of how important cybersecurity is to businesses with a level of discipline that I think is appropriate given some of the macro uh, situation. Okay, I have a related question. Given, you know, the interest rates right now and uh, the fact that, I mean, we, if anyone can get a 5% yield on their money, like, are customers willing to, or are they willing to pay upfront for, you know, using your products or how they are signing their contracts? Or there is like a feeling right now that they want to go for shorter contracts? I guess maybe I'd say we Maybe steer away from that question, just given that we're, uh, we just finished a quarter and we okay. have that's, that's, that's so, fine. Okay. Uh, that might that, be better. Yeah. I, I don't want to get into financial detail. It was more of a general comment because that's what we've been hearing, but that's perfectly fine. 
What is one technology or trend that you are most excited about over the next two years? Look, the, the, the obvious answer, of course, is AI. And I am genuinely excited about devs. The, I'm trying to think of the, the, maybe the less obvious ones, you know, I, I'll, I'll give you, so I'm actually really excited about the use of cloud for delivering security <laughs> because cloud opens up a level of sort of scale and capacity that just does not exist when trying to fit everything into, you know, either an, an agent or a, or a, an appliance or something like that. So that's, it, it's an over, sometimes overlooked, uh, sort of technology trend that we have used and, and will continue to expand our use of for solving really hard security challenges. What could go wrong uh, with the assumptions that you're making about uh, your business and the environment? Maybe one risk factor to retrace. We are betting on customers recognizing the importance of consolidating security capabilities into platforms. That our view is that delivers a much more natively integrated outcome that we can drive better outcomes, better utilization, et cetera. The risk is if companies continue with how they did this in the past, where they acquire lots and lots of point products for each need that they have instead of consuming USA modules off of blocking. Got it. And lastly, how would you characterize the dependency on uh, indirect channel for a company that has a wide range of products uh, like Alt? I think of it as a, as a really good opportunity for us. We have over less few years, we've, we started to make good progress in building out some sort of much bigger partnerships with some of the, the world, the, the large global system integrators and some of the large service providers as a way of reaching customers that rely on them as, as their sort of advisors and implementers. And so being able to partner more closely with them, I see as a, as a, as a opportunity for us to, to expand our reach. Right. Thank you so much, Lee. This has been wonderful. Really enjoyed the conversation. And thank you so much for taking the time and uh, wish you the best for the upcoming learnings. Uh, thank you very much, Andy. It's nice to talk to you.